Hello and welcome to this episode of the Women in Technology Spotlight. Thank you all for joining us again this week. Don't forget to like and subscribe so you don't miss any of the coming episodes. Today, I'll be talking to Priti Kubiane. Priti is the co-founder of Coronet Blockchain and the director of Iconic Wigs. She is a speaker at events like the African Digital Finance Summit or Power Africa. Welcome, Priti. Thank you so much, Ronke. Thank you for having me. So great to be here. Having you on this channel. And uh, so, Priti, tell us a little bit about who you are. No, absolutely. So I, my early experience in business was from a family business. So I have that family business uh, background. So it, it, it was not like being working for a family there. You are cooking today or you are going with dad to the office. So that was my most favorite thing to actually go with my father to the office. So because our family business was already, was always structured in a, more uh, impact type of a business and more social entrepreneurship more than anything. So my father during the week, he ran a woodcutting business. And then on weekends, he ran this apprenticeship. It was very informal because it's a village. Nobody really have the wisdom as to how to actually run these things. So he had a number of boys from the village that couldn't really fit in with an educational system and helping them to just have employable skills so that they can sustain themselves so that was the part of him giving back so they will work on the car fixing workshop during the weekend he will get them driver's licenses when they are old enough and when they want to start their own homes he will assist them with that so after that i went and studied public relations after public relations i started first and then I went and did something that has nothing to do with what I studied because I went back to work with corporate social investments when um, uh, big projects have like in mining, in manufacturing, when they have responsibilities to actually uh, benefit the community that are around them. So I was responsible to create social benefit systems for the communities within the vicinity of these mines. So from there, I work in management consulting, specifically with uh, new markets. Whenever there's a brand, say it exists in one state, now it wanna exist maybe across many states. So my specific job was to handle that from concept to handing over the key because we worked a lot within the retail sector and within the hospitality so i managed that so it was during that time where one of the projects led us to going into blockchain more on that later okay so so pretty um you talked about your father having this business in a village tell us where you are based actually because most people don't actually know that Absolutely. I'm now based in a big city in Johannesburg on the Santin side. It's the economic and financial hub of Africa. They often say it's the richest square mile. I think it's rich because it's the economic hub of the entire African continent. So that's where I'm based. I'm about a thousand kilometers away from my village home. So, um, Growing up in the village, you tell me your father worked as a woodcutter during the week and at the, on the weekend, he gave back to the community, was again working. So he must have had a very good, um, how do you say, um, work ethic. 
I think the word is. And uh, do you feel that your father role modeled this work ethic to you? Is that why you enjoyed going to the office with him? Or what did he, he impart? What kind of knowledge did he impart to you? No, absolutely. I, I think it did because I, I, even though I wish I did slightly differently, but I don't regret it because during uh, breaks in school, during sports and everything, I'll be doing my homework because I know after school, they don't allow me to come to the office unless I'm done with my homework. But because I wanted to follow him around, I wanted to do that. So from the age of six, I have been working. And for as long as I know, my father has always been working. Obviously he made time for family and we born at work. So we had to find that balance to like have family time and at work and have work during family time. Everything was just mixed together, but incredible work ethic. I think one of the uh, uh, things that he was doing because we not only uh, had wood for consumption, uh, for uh, what do you call it, commercial caterers and uh, what domestic consumption, only he had this rare wood that he sourced for artists that were craving some stuff to make to make tables and things like that. That wood was rare, and only my father's car could actually reach that uh, level, that top of the mountain to source the wood. So only he could source that wood at scale. So that was an incredible work ethic, and he was an incredible solutionist because he had to make the engine to do that. There was no way of turbocharging an engine from a, a, a car dealership or something because that, that just was not there. Yeah. So um, from what I, I, I know about you and, and your husband, of course, I feel that this work ethic and this model that your father was uh, has been to you and also the fact you, you talked about, um, you know, private and business life being interchangeable and it all mingled together. I feel that is something you have taken into your adult life now, right? You also have this yes. business together with your husband. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Coronet Blockchain. What uh, made you found this together with your husband? Tell us. No, absolutely. So because both of us, actually, we have that uh, family business background and we also have an experience of uh, starting working for familiar businesses very early so but he moved from working for the family into the big city he was in a big city when he was like 15 years old my parents will never they're like the clingiest people i know they wouldn't let me to just play next door where they can't see me so i couldn't leave that young but he could so he got many scholarships and ended up working for deloitte the consulting the, the audit uh, and accounting firm so it was then where he met an ex-colleague of his, they used to work together. So she has been recently been retrenched and she was running this uh, hair extension business just out of her handbag. And back then she was running it as a side hustle. We call them side hustle in South Africa where a lot of African women, they're just entrepreneurial and they always have something on the side because we have large families and sometimes corporate uh, income is just not enough. You just want to have stuff and, and some revenue on the side. So now she has turned her side hustle into her main hustle because she was retrenched from corporate, but because she's a very organized person, she came to us and she asked if we could put systems in place. And it was an incredible challenge because 
we wanted to either sell the business in three years or franchise it as there was no dominant brand of that category in the industry, especially in South Africa, or actually get investors so that we can make it a national brand without franchising or selling it. So we were like, so how, what do we see it being in, in, in three years is what we have to reverse engineer now. So, and it, it happened in three years, she moved from five, thousand US dollars, I mean 500 US dollars to bringing in 2 million US dollars a year and she moved from a staff of two, a team of two to a team of 40 uh, from just operating out of a handbag into four branches and a story like that makes headlines any day in South Africa because that's what people are looking for, a kind of a business that somebody can start with a smaller capital and create jobs but run a sustainable business. So because of headlines and mainstream media telling the story everywhere. So now we had this overwhelming amount of other brands in across the African continent wanting the same success, even uh, mainstream business. They haven't gotten right a number of things we have gotten right. So they invited us to supply the product that we're selling with a brand to open this mini salon, like in department stores where there's makeup mini stores and, and all of that. They wanted us to do the same. But because now we're going mainstream, there were lots of questions about the quality of the product. So it's supposed to be 100% of Remy hair or virgin hair. How do we know it's supposed to have been sourced in this particular, specifically in India, for voluntarily? How do we know? So audit measures and compliance is a bit strict when it comes to um, to mainstream. So in search for just a solution to like, okay, so how do we guarantee the quality of the product consistently? And then we started speaking to quality assurance industries and regulating industries like your Bureau of Veritas and others, but there was just no solution in the market that is uh, digital and that could actually deliver at scale what we wanted to do. So um, during dinner with one of our friends of the family, he told us that, you know what, we just did a similar, we had a similar case, but in food, not in fashion on, or beauty with Walmart, where we created this technology called uh, a, a food trust. And it, it, it achieved the exact same business results you are looking for, but we have been looking to do something in the African continent. So if you are keen, I can introduce you to, they have this VC uh, type of a department within IBM, specifically in South Africa, where they invest in startups that have got a potential to scale uh, really quick. So they introduced us there to them. And then that's when we started building a Coronet blockchain solution. This is such an interesting story really, because <clears throat> If you think about women's hair extensions, you know, because you use them, I use them. This is not where, uh, a space where you would think about blockchain, which is like state of the art technology. And um, I find this so fascinating to see how this technology um, works in Africa to, uh, or not just in Africa, but for your business to actually guarantee the source of your products. And this is a good example of how you can bring in blockchain to and, and also modern technology to benefit businesses in Africa, right? That's very true. Yes, that's very correct. 
So um, you founded this company together with your husband, and I think it's a big success. And it has also led to you being invited to speak at different events, I think. Um, tell me where, because I saw on, on your page that um, one of your slogans is, uh, I think, blockchain for social good. So tell me a little bit about that, about this motto of doing social good. No, absolutely. I think one of the biggest problems that we have in the African uh, continent and in many places is always access, either access to information. Uh, I, I understand that uh, the, the, the third industrialization really democratized learning. Today, you can actually learn things you couldn't learn before, where you needed thousands of dollars to get a, a macro credentialing, a credential course or something from a, 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 a university or a college. So, but now that there's this democratized information, again, information of what actually really work is what really account, if I could say, is wisdom. So that's one of the things that, Uh, 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 is very close to our heart to say, as we are building, we want as quick as we can to let people know that, because that's how you create impact to avail access one to the information as it is. And just to educating people that, you know what, there's a solution, this is what you're just doing, and this is what it can actually do for you. And of course, the other part is the implementation of the blockchain technology itself in the industries that we are working for, because the business benefits to that, it now starting to avail uh, sophisticated technologies To, that was of was previously used with by enterprise business to small businesses, and it also helped small businesses to uh, to democratize the part of compliance because compliance is very expensive. Especially the beauty product is is highly regulated. You're not gonna wake up one day and mix things in your kitchen and say, "Who oh, I have uh, a cream that will make your hair to grow." Like the uh, the cost of complying. But the blockchain technology, because it is one of the best record keeping solutions that are available, it, it helps with that to keep record of what you're doing to actually comply. Because in the past, if I'm mixing stuff in my kitchen to make my Afro to grow faster, then I need some guy up the road who's, a, who's gonna come and test that and keep me in check and then write papers and give me certification to go and say, see, I'm accredited. These things actually work. This thing is not dangerous. Not that the scientific part of actually taking products to the lab and testing them that, that are not dangerous has been passed, but it's very expensive to get accreditation for product, for a product to get into mainstream, but blockchain does that at scale and it lowers those costs associated with that, making many women that uh, and men that could not access certain parts of the market to access them very quickly. So that's where the, 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 the social good aspect is because in South Africa, there's no shortage of business in Africa across the continent. There's no shortage of business, but business is very uh, uh, informal. And anybody who works in the informal business knows today they're going to retire poor because they're not going to have any retirement package. If something is wrong with their health, they have to go to a government health. That's like 
Nobody wanna do that. Nobody want a government health system. Nobody wants to create jobs and create, contribute to the economy. But at the end of the year, they can't buy a house because they cannot get finance. They can't grow a business because they cannot get finance. So our solution makes sure it bridge that gap between what a business is doing to what is the expected out of the economy and what's expected out of from the funders, uh, from the consumers, and from the regulators. Okay. So what you're saying is that on the one hand, the blockchain technology removes certain obstacles of, uh, you know, being uh, delivering compliance and certifications and all this, making it easily, more easily accessible. And on the other hand, it is also a method of record keeping. So you have some, some record of what you have actually done. Is that, do I understand this correctly? Yes, yes, absolutely. You've explained it so well. It's a very good summary. That's very correct. So this is this is amazing, and I do feel that blockchain, um, if you remove it from the whole Bitcoin hype, has such a big part to play in Africa. So this this is a technology that will definitely help us develop the continent. And speaking of development, I want to talk about your development because, um, as you said, you started out. Um, you're you're an African woman, and we all know that Africa is still a society that is very much, or most African countries are still societies run very much uh, by men. Right. That's true. But you are a successful uh, woman in the business world. You run a high tech company in the end together with your husband, which is an amazing achievement. And I want to talk a little bit about how that journey worked for you. So to just to explain to other women how you can achieve something like you did. No, absolutely. I think uh, for me, one of the things I understood first and foremost was having to do your homework is one of the things uh, and understanding that most of the obstacles, for example, that I faced were not just common to me. They were, I mean, they were not uncommon rather, they were not specialized to me. They are common to anybody who's gonna venture into business. And being in Africa, being a woman as well, just adds to all these, uh, uh, what do you call it, to all these challenges that you, anybody can actually face. Uh, for example, just the failure in business or just accessing funding is one of the, the difficult things. Uh, I think in the US, the US, I think it has maybe one of the top 10 world's uh, a very effective startup ecosystem. They start about half a million businesses every year, but only 6% of those get funded. So if people with such a good ecosystem are finding it so difficult, and in three years, 80% of those businesses won't actually exist, they would have failed. So add that to being a woman, having only 2% ch chances of actually being funded. So I think that it was knowing uh, what odds I have actually against me and understanding that these are the odds that are there. So they were both overwhelming, but exciting at the same time. I, I think there's just something exciting about things that are not uh, uh, easily accessible. So I had to know that these are the odds, but they are, they are, they are, yes, they are overwhelming, but they are exciting. Secondly, I had to overdo a building value to my business. So I had to make sure that I overdo that by building twice the value that a male 
even if they were African or not, they would actually build, especially in within uh, the technology space, because that's just what things are so overdoing, creating value and building value. And the last part that I would mention, it, it was actually being very, uh, you have to be very resourceful when you are a startup, uh, a co-founder, when you run a startup, you can not know. So there's a whole lot of things, any micro skill I could learn. I had to learn how to create website using resources that are there within few hours, have it running myself because that's money, money I can pay. I have to learn design, uh, graphic design and all kinds of design myself. I had, thank goodness I had the management consulting experience. So when it comes to any work of that, cause that could be very expensive. So being resourceful was one of the things that really came as a bonus. Yeah. So I hear that on the one hand, it was important to understand that the odds are not good, it, no matter whether you're a woman or you're a man or whatever, it's always difficult to start your own business, right? And the other Correct. thing I'm hearing is that you are willing to grow and to learn. So I think that is one of the big aspects, right? You talk about, you know, learning to do a web, a web design, to, to program a web page and all these things. Tell me a little bit about your approach to life. So what is it that drives you? Because obviously you have this energy and this will to, to um, succeed. No, absolutely. I think next to succeeding, because that that's because uh, I will often say, even at work, when, uh, what do you call it, when Shadrach and I almost, when already when we first met and we decided because we were working together and then we decided okay we work well together why don't we just get married so already I knew that if I don't marry somebody I work with it's it's I don't think it's gonna work very well because I'm a workaholic I just I've been working since I was six I don't know how not to work so that but just being a workaholic for nothing it's actually just it's uh, there's just nothing to it so knowing that i'm working for impact impact as well and having a purpose for me that's one of the things that actually add and a passion for what i do because it's not always exciting to work especially when the company starts to grow in the beginning it was very exciting we would experiment and open a pop-up store and just the excitement of shopping for furniture and designing stuff is like, I liked it. And then the business started growing and we started talking to investors. And now it's men in blue, there's contracts, there's code. I'm like, I didn't sign up for this. So now I have to speak to lawyers and accountants and, and developers and engineers. And it's not that hype anymore. There's demand for time for me. There's working even if I'm not feeling that well. There's sacrificing things that people of my age group are doing. There's losing friends that will not understand why you have to be flying out of the country all the time. Why did you miss, miss my baby shower? Like, I, well, sometimes I had to choose between coming to that or sending a gift and, and, and meeting people that flew in all the way and they want to meet with me. I just, I, I had to choose between that. So it's not always nice because those incredible moments, you can't win them back. And same thing with family as well, not being there. But if you're not just being there for money, it's, I think it's sad. But if it's for building something that you know that this is going to create impact, for me, it's going to create impact for my family and it's going to create impact for those people that are around me and it's going to create impact for 
our continent as well. Yeah. And this is a very important point. I think you talk about impact and it's also a vision and there's something that you want to achieve. What is the impact that you and Shadrach would like to have? Absolutely. So we have created this Coronet uh, BFF 30, which is more like Vision 2030, where we want to uh, use our technology within uh, a, a beauty, food, and fashion. And we have chosen those industry because one, they are the highest employers in the in the continent of Africa. The majority of Africans they actually work within the the food uh, supply chain, whether they are in farming or they are in retail. But majority they work there. And two, they are. Uh, industries that have got the most of the businesses, then they make up the majority of the small and medium businesses in Africa. And by default, that's where the, 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 the not so sustainably employment and jobs are actually are and causing impact in those areas where you create impact where there's more employment that could be sustainable. We would like to see a lot of people because when they move from working from these not so sustainable companies, they end up on the social uh, um, system by the government where we are spending billions giving to the elderly that cannot take care of themselves. But these people have actually been working. And then later on, they have nothing to show at all. So I think the impact that we want to create is within this, the, the, the supply chains in Africa, specifically those, because they have a majority women, they have a majority youth. And those people are no longer like, uh, what do you call the left behind? It's because they carry the economy of our continent and they are back. And we would like to see them ending up with something, owning more businesses that are more sustainable and retiring very well when they choose to retire. Yeah, you've touched on a lot of issues that we see on the African continent, especially when you talk about old age and how people are able to support themselves. So what I hear you talking about is is a transformation, right? You want to transform society. This is Absolutely. And of course, um, if you have this vision and this belief that you can go, um, you, you can um, make a transformation, you will be willing to put in more energy and work, even if you're not really, you know, feeling it that specific day, you, because you know- That's true. Before. So this is commendable. And I, I'm, I'm absolutely uh, honored to be, uh, you know, watching you two, what you're doing for, for Africa and, and with your technology. Um, and um, actually, I noticed we are already nearly at the half hour that is planned for this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Very riveting. Um, so when you look at young women, young people on the African continent, is there something you would like to tell them that they should keep in mind when they try to build a career or a business? No, absolutely. I think that I could say that mostly young people and mostly young women, I could say that they must, they don't need permission. So they must stop apologizing for being in the room because even if they had to ask for permission, even if they asked, they will not get that permission because the people they are asking, they don't even have permission to permit themselves. So they must step into the rooms and just be there. I had this uh, uh, thing when I was growing up, when I was so convinced that I was actually adopted. And I think at least once every week, I'll ask my family, like, well, I know I look like you guys, but I'm nothing like my family. Like, they are outspoken. If there's a guest coming, they are running towards the door. I want to hide. 
I don't want to talk to anybody. They are sporty and they can dance. I don't have a single rhythm as an African. I mean, it's like having an iPhone within and without an iOS, like it's supposed to come with it, but it was not there for me. So it made me to kind of like wish that I was more outspoken, wish that I was something that I was actually not. And that actually rob you for going full throttle on anything that you do, for being best at everything that you do. And then I got to realize that, you know what? God wanted this specific package to deliver the solutions that he wants. So at some point, I have to just stop apologizing and stop wishing I was more spoken, stop wishing I had these particular skills and start refining the ones I have and being the best uh, product managing nerd you can find instead of wanting to be a, a people's person, I can learn that as a skill, but it's not my strong point. So that's one of the things. Don't apologize about being in the room. Don't apologize about being the type of a personality or a type of a person that you actually are. Because if God wanted two of you, maybe you two of the person you want, maybe you could have given that person's mom twins like identical twins but that's just not there so just be yourself because that's the best you can actually serve the world yeah this is so powerful pretty so don't ask for permission because other people don't have the don't really can give can't really give you permission because they don't have the right to give you permission or to stop you from doing what you want and try to be the best version of yourself instead of trying to be someone else and, and have other skills. So this is a very, very powerful message, I think, to young people. And it's good to understand. And I want to thank you very much for contributing to our series here. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. This was incredible. <laughs>